0: this is a podcast of stories where we will meet people we can learn from people who will challenge us people who will inspire us people who will teach us the joy of living people who will teach us how to truly live and experience life to the fullest so join us on this journey where we will collectively learn to live through our stories
1: hello everybody welcome back to our stories we are so sorry that we missed you last week i have been in and out of having a voice for the last week but i'm on the mend and i am so excited to share this conversation with you today i got to sit down and talk with taylor hooker burns a recreational therapist an entrepreneur and just an all-around exceptional human being i hope that if you've been around atra or our conferences Or even on the internet, you've had a chance to interact with Taylor. She is so kind and such an excellent advocate for this profession. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. Here is our stories. Hi, Taylor. Thanks for being here today. I'm so excited to talk with you. Can you start by telling everybody a little bit about your story?
0: Sure. Um, So I'll give you the Reader's Digest version, Uh, but my introduction to ATRA uh, began as a student when I was still in college. Um, I was not one of the normal folks that discovered recreation therapy as a discovery major. I knew about it since I was in high school and had kind of had this trajectory for a very long time. Spent some time dabbling in special education, but my heart was always pulled back to recreation therapy and then went to school, majored in that, and it's kind of been a journey uh, from there ever since. But my formal role with ATRA in the past has been serving on committee committee membership, is what I'm trying to say. Um, So as a committee member, and then worked my way up to board membership and have kind of spent the last couple of years exploring some personal projects, still connected with ATRA, helping where I can. Um, But it's a lot of work. Uh, as a as a board member and so I took some time off to explore some personal projects. Um, I'm a third year doctoral student at Clemson. I work for the federal government and today is actually my last day as a recreation therapist which is really bittersweet and we will be transitioning into a new role on Monday. Uh, I guess I'm an entrepreneur now so I own a couple of businesses and I'm a wife and a dog mom and an amateur farmer. So that's me.
1: Tell me about that. So you're an amateur farmer. What does that mean?
0: (laughs) So according to North Carolina policy, because I now own uh, more than 10.01 acres, I am a small grade farmer. And that means I have the ability to apply apply for grants and all of the legal code and all that. So I'm considered a farmer. Um, my husband and I, uh, mainly myself, my husband just rides along with all my crazy antics. Um, just recently bought some acreage out in North Carolina by some family, and we're hoping to start a little mini farm. Um, those that know me know that I have a mildly unhealthy obsession with miniature cows. <laughs> and I want, <laughs> I want my own little, um, I'd say fleet, but um, I don't, what do you call a herd Cows herd. There we go. There you See go. Amateur starting amateur starting point. It's called a herd. Uh, I was going to say a gaggle, but that's for geese, <laughs> a gaggle of cows. That's so much more fun, but, um, we are on a 33 month delay before we can even start building our house. So it'll be a little while before we own any farm animals.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Gosh, it is such a hard market to be building a house. <laughs> um, so, you have so many things going on. You said you're an entrepreneur, you're a doctoral student, you're starting a new job. I want to come back to all of that, but I'm so curious, where do you see, how do you see striking a balance where you're fitting in being a small grade farmer with all of those things?
0: I think um, as any good recreation therapist would, we find avenues to help us cope and channel our creative energy into outlets that really mean something to us. Um, that was not always my strongest uh, strength. It was something I, I very much struggled with and rode the line of burnout for a long time in my career until I've been able to strike some balance. I also recognize that, like, the level of work that I do is not sustainable for most people. Um, and I have like these stints of work where I go really, really hard in one direction and then I take a pause. Uh, but I'm also kind of shifting into this. Newer transition in my life where I'm really looking forward to some downtime. And so, a lot of this um, kind of intensive work that I've been doing over the past couple of years is coming to a nice close. Um, but farm life is hard, and I have zero idea what I'm getting into. And I know that that's going to be a challenge in and of itself, but it's exciting. It's not something that I have to be good at or a professional in. And 15 years from now, if I've got like this large scale farming operation, I'm still going to consider myself an amateur or hobby farmist because uh, it's just something that I enjoy. And I love being out in nature. I love farm life. I love animals. I love what animals can teach us. And um, I just don't take that aspect of my life very seriously. It's more for fun and pleasure and leisure. And so that's like my version of recreation therapy for myself. It helps keep me balanced.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I get to know you outside of this interview. I know you through Atra and being an amateur is a stance for you. You're always asking questions and you're always curious. And that's definitely a part of your personality. I um, I also have a farm, which is so funny <laughs> to think about. If anybody knew me before I had a farm, I would have never guessed this is where I am. And um, yeah, so it's been almost eight years now. And oh my gosh, a beginner all the time, every day is just a new, a new beginning. So I love that you have that attitude about life. So you said that today was your last day being a recreational therapist. I don't think that's ever going to be true. I think you're always going to be a recreational therapist, but tell me more about that.
0: Yeah, that was maybe a short-sighted comment for sure. I've been having conversations with like family members and my husband and and friends and really, and truly like the skill set that I've developed came from my training as a recreation therapist and I will always use that and continue to advocate for that especially in my new position um so I don't think that that's going anywhere but are you asking specifically like where where I'm venturing off to
1: yeah or how you came to the decision or what specifically has brought you here to this to to this turning
0: point yeah so It is very interesting because I'm still very much involved in the field. I'm pursuing a doctorate degree. So I am bought in to this field, Uh, but I work for a very large healthcare, uh, federal healthcare institution that has a lot of influence. And I have a firm belief that if we're going to make change at a certain level that uh, while boots on the ground efforts are palpable, that some decisions need to be made at the higher level and influence at that specific level is something that I'm looking forward to. I also have a skill set that I've developed through continued education and my work and some of my out of work, out of school experiences that doesn't get tapped into in the role that I'm currently in. And I also found during the pandemic that if I'm going to maintain the level of intensity, which I don't want to all the time, but I have a lot of my hands in a bunch of different buckets and working from home really opened my eyes to being able to manage that better. Not sitting in a car for 45 minutes or an hour on my way to work each week. Um, And then just being able to surprisingly separate work and home a lot easier working from home because I shut my laptop at the end of the day and I go on with, with the rest of my work. But It's kind of a a multitude of things. So a personal recollection that I've got a lot going on. It's not feasible if I'm, you know, rummaging back and forth to work. I have a skill set that I want to tap into. I want to advocate at a larger level and I want to grow as a professional. And so I'm moving into more healthcare administration, but I know that in the role that I'm going into the skill sets that I've gained in practice are going to come back to fruition uh, in my new role.
1: Did you say earlier that recreational therapy is where you get a lot of your identity from? Did you say that in this conversation? It might've
0: been our, in our pre-recording conversation. (laughs) I think like my personal identity has really formed or been formed around being a recreational therapist. And it is very jarring to not have that title under my name for a while. And I do feel very privileged to have these businesses that I've started that are, um, adjacent or directly connected to the field because I feel like it keeps me, me in the water, keeps me in the pool a little bit. Um, but yeah, a lot of my identity was formed around and is formed around being a recreation therapist.
1: So I just wanted to, I want to go back because, um, I've been on a journey. uh, of having to let go of a piece of my identity that I really, really strongly associated with. And you said, today's my last day as a recreational therapist. And I remember the day that when I was ready to let go of a piece of my identity, I had to let go. I had to say it out loud what I was no longer. And so I said, I think you'll always be a recreational therapist, but And maybe this is too far, but how much do you think that letting go and saying today's my last day of recreational therapist, do you think there's a grieving process that goes with sort of disassociating from one identity and moving on to another is grief the right adjective?
0: I think it's the only one that I've got right now. And I don't feel sad like that. Those feelings haven't come to me yet, perhaps, um, I know that like the mission of the organization that I work for is something that's really strong to me. So I associate and have associated more with that. And early in my career, I noticed that, you know, there's a lot of growth happening for recreation therapists, but it wasn't necessarily in my immediate circles to the level that I wanted it to be. And so I've started having like these internal monologue conversations with myself that like if in the event that I was not in a direct service role as a recreation therapist, I'm still a part of this bigger mission. And that is what speaks to me. So it is a bit of a transition and, you know, I start this new job on Monday, so I might have a different story in a week or two, but I feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself. And I know that I still have a connection and a tether to the field and I still have something to give. And I had a ton of mentorship and experiences and growth opportunities to get me where I am today because of other recreation therapists, professors, practitioners, other students, et cetera. And so I would be remiss if I didn't continue doing that. And I have zero intentions of of not doing that. So there are some things like projects and um ventures that I'm on both in work and out of work that because I'm no longer practicing, um, I can't do anymore. And so that was an interesting set of emails that I sent was like notifying people like, Hey, technically I don't qualify for this committee or this organization anymore. I want to let you know so that we can create a succession plan or whatever we need to do. But I've already started to seek out opportunities where after my PhD is done, <laughs> I can you know see clients virtually or consult with other recreation therapists so I can keep that tether in case I get to the point where I'm like, "Oh, I really miss this."
1: Yeah, yeah, so you said that you feel you have a skill set that is uh, lending itself towards this new role. What is that skill set, and where did you build those skills from?
0: So you know the API process is we, we call that the RT process, but it's not necessarily a proprietary process. There's a lot of healthcare professionals that follow a similar process to API. But I think the the uniqueness of our training and the um, creativity that draws you to this profession and really just the comprehensive approach that we get in our education and then really continued education and mentorship and connections and networking that we oftentimes see the world in a different way. And I've always been one to see opportunities from my training early on in my bachelor's where opportunities didn't exist, right? It's a recreation therapist who can make a program with $5, a pipe cleaner and some, some toothpicks and a straw. Like we can make something happen. But I think that sense of innovation and ingenuity that we purposefully, maybe, um, accidentally instill into people is something that serves them beyond the scope of providing direct care to patients as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it took probably a lot of reflection to get to where you're going next, right? A lot of looking back on your, the last, whatever decade, what do you think that you want the next decade to look like when you're looking back at it again?
0: That is a good question. That is a make you stop and think question. Um, I have been obsessed with goal achievement over the past 10 years. And that has shifted greatly for me over the past, probably two to three years. And I, I'm getting more into a, and I even kind of like hesitate to say this, but I get, I'm getting more into like a selfish role that like, I just want to be happy. I want to, um, I want to engage in leisure and recreation. I have delayed gratification a lot and been so hyper focused and obsessed with career goals and growth and all of that, that I haven't always taken an opportunity to to stop and smell the roses and meditation, mindfulness, spiritual practices have really kind of shifted my perspective on life. And it's short and I want to have fun and I want to enjoy life and being busy and working all the time. is not always conducive with that. Uh, So over the next 10 years, I want to... Um, that's what this farm came out of, was just like this silly idea that I had that like the moments where I find myself in like pure bliss and joy is out in the country, like farm animals. I'm not thinking about anything else. That's my sense of mindfulness and meditation. And I've told myself, oh, that's not going to happen until I'm in my 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, et cetera. And I kind of just had this realization one day that I was like, why can't it happen now? Like, let's just do it. Let's make it happen. And so obviously I've had to maintain that level of work to accomplish everything that I'm trying to do. But the next 10 years I want, um, I want to be working from home, which I am that's happening. Um, I want to advance in my career, but be happy while I'm doing it. Um, I want to travel, especially as things are, are opening up. It's one of my favorite leisure opportunities. Um, I want some cows. I want to start a farm. Um, I've done a lot of visioning and I just want to like hang out at like the farm with farm animals, have people come visit. Um, And I'm just really excited to create like a space for myself and my family. And also like my friends around the country that I've made through this profession, made friends out in Nevada and Alaska. And we always talk about getting together and now I will finally have a place, um, you know, apartment living isn't always conducive with that and tr- traveling and moving around all the time isn't conducive to having people come visit. But I'm super excited to just create like this environment where people can stop by, they can come stay, they can hang out with some cool farm animals, um, maybe do some work with underprivileged populations so that they can come in and experience what that's like. Um, Groma and food, hang out on the farm and Uh, Maybe consult, do some work online and just continue to build. I don't love the word brand, but continue to build like this. Empire is probably not the great word either, but it's totally conflicting this idea. But like build these businesses that bring me a lot of purpose and meaning, but allow me to do the things that I love to do and just kind of dial back a little bit. Cause I've been very dialed in the last couple of years and I don't know that it's necessarily burnout because I haven't reached that and I don't want to, but it's definitely a recognition that like, all right, I'm finally at a place where I have reached a lot of my goals. And if I were to continue on that path, it's kind of like this path of never ending. Like there's no real objective there. And mindfulness has really taught me that like life is good as is despite everything that is going on in the world and the chaos and hurt and everything that like pulls at my heart shrinks and keeps me up at night and that like I find peace and solitude on the farm so I'm looking forward to spending my days there
1: oh my gosh I'm just so excited for you okay you said that you felt selfish even saying that out loud except the whole time you were talking I was like Yes. This sounds so good. I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited. So, okay. This question, I got to interview somebody who is um, probably, I think like we're all about the same spectrum of our, our, how long we've been in the field and how long we've been working. And we were talking about burnout amongst our cohort basically. And it seems to me, and this is entirely anecdotal and so it could be incredibly biased, but it seems to me that a huge portion of specifically our kind of generational age group of recreational therapists are burning out and are having sort of these same conversations and thoughts. And I don't think it's selfish. I know it's, it's, I, I struggle with it too, saying it for myself. I mean, I, um, I have a hard time making choices that feels that feel selfish too, but I'm just, I'm not being very articulate, but what do you think about that? What do you think about our kind of generation and the speed at which we're burning out?
0: So I think to me, there's these two like thought tracks that I've been having over the past few years. And a lot of it is like this inflection point with the pandemic. I think there is certainly a hallmark of. Our generations, and maybe there's a little bit of overlap with previous and the following generations, but burnout is a real thing. Compassion fatigue is a real thing. I think that's one part of it, but I also think there's a societal recognition that working to oblivion and putting in all these hours for corporations and companies that may or may not go to bat for you and don't support you as an employee is not sustainable and that life is really short. And I think the pandemic really forced people to pause for a moment and look around them at what are my values? What do I prioritize? And we talk about this all the time with our clients, but it's the next group and the next care meeting and the next thing and the next thing. And we forget these aha moments that we even have with our clients. And so I think- on one level it's a societal shift that this type of work that we've created for ourselves we created this society we created all of this you know our hyperfixation on work our delay of gratification our pushing off of leisure and recreation and even just the the deeming of leisure and recreation as something that's like extra or not as important or it's something that you'll get to do when you retire has never really resonated with me. And I don't think it resonates with a lot of recreation therapists, but then I think during the pandemic, when you take work out of the equation, which is a lot of people's identity, certainly was mine for a while and a lot of it is, but when you're first forced not to work and many of us were essential workers, right? Many of us lost our jobs. Many of us were laid off. Many of us were on, you know, extended periods of paid or unpaid leave. What do you do in that time when you're not going to work? What value do you get from life? And I think for a lot of people, they got closer with their families, maybe got reconnected with faith, um, and a lot of people engaged in leisure. And one of the coolest things that I saw during the pandemic was like, you couldn't find a bike anywhere. Part of that was because of the production, but like part of it was because there's this massive, you know, movement towards getting outside, getting like our parks saw a huge influx of people. And I think we're going into two plus years of this now. And while things are in some corners of the world reopening, there's some hesitancy and to kind of get back into the, the flow of life and- I think if we don't learn anything from that as a society, we're really missing an opportunity that working to the point of excess and not enjoying life is not sustainable. And I think that sort of solitude and reflection was forced on a lot of people that may or may not have been ready for it. And so I think society society wise, that's one aim, but certainly I do believe that we as recreation therapists are very susceptible to compassion fatigue and burnout. And then I think we end up feeling like hypocrites because we teach people the value of work-life balance, of leisure, of quality of life. And then sometimes we find ourselves at the very bottom of the barrel and we have to kind of rec-therapize ourselves at different points in our career.
1: Yeah. I have, I have two questions I want to ask you from that. So you're a PhD student and also you're kind of looking at things from a higher level, unfortunately, or maybe not our society runs on data. We make decisions, we get insurance coverage, we all of that on data. What do you think are the research questions we need to be asking about play, joy, leisure to come out of all of this? Maybe on the other side, maybe we're still waiting through it. With the data that we need for it to stick. Yeah.
0: And I think that's been a big driver of like this career shift for me, because that's inherently what I'm going to be focused on is data and making decisions and asking those questions. Um, And I've kind of always just been like a a philosophical person, like what's the meaning of a lot of this stuff. Um, But And I like I feel hesitancy even talking about it because it's like we're so inundated with this messaging. But instead of like this hyper fixation on like gross domestic product and what can we produce and production and output and all of that, um, I've always loved this concept of and I'm going to get the term wrong, but it's either gross domestic joy or gross domestic happiness or gross domestic quality of life, there is a measure that measures like a specific country or state or county or locales, overall sense of humanity and enjoyment and happiness. And I think that's one area. Um, So health-related quality of life is one that I'm exploring a little bit more that even when living with chronic diseases and complex medical conditions, that there's still quality of life that can exist. And then overall quality of life that we focus on longevity and and how long are we living. But I'm really curious about the quality of those years and meaning making. So I don't know that a lot of this can be captured in quantitative quantitative data. So I've always been interested in mixed methodology, but I'm definitely one that leans more towards qualitative components. I love stories. Mm -hmm. Um, The work that I'm involved with during my J job is focused on innovation and uh, human centered design. And so human centered design really focuses on stories. I'm very much an amateur in that area, so I won't speak with any sense of authority on that, but it's been a very interesting journey getting connected with this side of work because We're not focused on metrics and data. We're focused on the real impact that these services have with the consumers that we serve and designing services based on the people that are utilizing these services. And so I think moving forward, we need to get more engaged in our communities. We need to, as as recreation therapists, um, which kind of flies in the face of work-life balance, but- (laughs) We need to be informed people in our communities and be a part of charting whatever that future looks like. Um, And I think a lot of it starts with like a personal realization that at any given moment, you can stop and pause and look at your life and be like, yeah, this isn't really working for me and then pivot. Um, And that might be a very privileged, I think it is a very privileged position to come from. But those of us that are in privileged spaces should be participating in these conversations so that the societies that we're, we're a part of in our communities can thrive and, um, live full, productive, engaging lives. And that this isn't just something that's limited to just a few.
1: Yeah. So my part two was, we were talking, I mentioned a little bit about specifically our generation and our kind of Uh, reckoning within sort of my cohort and my peers do you think there's something I was I was thinking about my grandparents who had very functional jobs they had jobs that were in response to World War II that were not where their identity came from because they were jobs of essentialism if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and I think um, our generation so much of our our identity does come from our career because we have so much more choice. Do you think that, I'm, what do you think of, I'm just gonna say, say that, <laughs> what do you think about that?
0: You know, I think this, there's also a component though of like the example you gave with your grandparents about like being a part of something bigger. And um, my grandfather served in the military, and um, he gains a lot of his identity and purpose from his service. My grandmother was a military spouse, and so she built a lot of her identity around that. So I think there's a number of different things that we can build our identities around. I think that they can be fragile, though, because again, if you're not in that same career, if you're not in that same position, then what do you have? And so I think that's the importance of recreation and leisure is that Many of these things can be salient throughout your entire lifetime. Um, There's certainly leisure outlets that I've dabbled in and lost interest in and come back to, but leisure has always been a constant for me in my life. Um, And I think, you know, like with World War II, if you're putting buttons on uniforms, you might feel like there's a purpose and that you're a part of something larger, I think choice and like excessive choice can lead to these feelings of like am I doing the right thing am I um, doing enough am I where I want to be and I think a lot of it I mean you've had thought leaders that talk about like we know more now we've got more access to information than we ever have in previous generations and misinformation and disinformation and a lot of that just constant bombardment of like the 24-7 media cycle and all of this information that we've got access to, it's overstimulating. And so, for me, my response to that has just been to revert into more mindfulness and um, tune out—not uh, check out, but tune out a little bit. Um, and so, I don't know. I don't know the. I don't know that I have a best answer for it, but I I do see that in my peers and colleagues. Um, a lot of my circle that are not in recreation therapists, excuse me, recreation therapy, um, they don't have necessarily a career. They maybe started school, stopped school. Um, They've tried odd jobs. And I think what's interesting about those individuals is sure they feel these feelings of like, I don't have a career, I don't have like a job. And there's these feelings of unease there but their identity is not formed around their occupation, what they do. Their identity is formed around being a wife or a daughter or a mother or a rollerblader or whatever it might be. So a lot of their leisure is their identity, the things that they like to do. But I think what's super interesting, and I don't know that I have an answer for this either, is during the pandemic, a lot of my friends struggled because their identity was formed around what they could do during their free time. And then when that wasn't an option, it was a lot of this like existential questions of like, who am I? But I also had the same experience because I was logging on to Zoom in the very beginning and I wasn't able to meet with patients all the time. And we were working on skill sets in a world that we weren't really sure (laughs) what the outcome of all this was going to be. And how accessible leisure is to different subsets of our population. And I don't know, I think it's, I I don't think it's something that anybody's immune to. And I don't, I try to temper my thoughts with this idea that I think it is a generational thing, but I'm sure that if we sit and speak to previous generations and the, the present youngest generation, that there's maybe this thread between all of it. And it's things that we've all experienced. I think if we target ourselves in this category of like exceptionalism, that we're the only generation that's struggling with this, it puts walls up between us. And I really think there's way more in common that we have with previous generations than we don't have in common.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. What words of wisdom do you want? to share or thoughts? Do you want to leave us with?
0: I'll just kind of sum it up with a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Um, be kind, have fun and take no crap, (laughs) (laughs) be kind to other people, be kind to yourself. Um, I've already forgotten what the the one in the middle have was fun. Have, have fun have fun have fun you know enjoy where you can find moments of of peace and positivity even in the midst of these very uncertain times and uh tumultuous times and take no crap
1: i love that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a thing to live by
0: Did you know we're on social media? That's right. You can stay up to date on all things Atra on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and even Pinterest. Give us a follow at Atra in action to stay in the know. Seriously, you don't want to miss out on this.
1: So a fun fact is that even though our That's a Great Question segment is meant to be an icebreaker, I almost always forget to record it until after the conversation. So today it's coming after our interview, and it's also not very rapid fire. Taylor is so much fun to talk with, and I hope you enjoy some of our ramblings. She is a close colleague and friend. And so this was just a really fun conversation to have. Here is, that's a great question. Okay, wait. My first question for you is, are you going to name your animals?
0: I feel like I have to, but that's so that's so much pressure. Like I have been building up this whole idea. Like folks that know me know that I have been working towards this for quite some time. Whenever I get that first like miniature calf, like what the heck am I gonna call it? Are you talking
1: like the Scottish, the little Scottish, uh, what are they called? They are Highlanders. I was going to say, I'm reading Outlander right now. So I think that's (laughs) stuck in my head.
0: (laughs) Definitely Scottish Highlands. I love them. Um, they're super cute and furry and they seem very cuddly, but I love jerseys. Um, (sighs) Funny enough, my husband uh, and his family were owned like the second largest dairy operation in uh, California before we met and it went bankrupt and I never got to see it, which probably would have made me really sad. So I'm glad that I didn't. But like if you ever wanted somebody with access to cows, like that was the guy and we met like two years too late. So fate would have it that he would marry someone with that is minorly obsessed with with cows.
1: Right. I love cows too. So I did animal assisted therapy previous to this. And then I have my own little island of misfit loves. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I've worked with a lot of different species and cows are my favorite. So Mm -hmm. we had um, Holsteins at Mm -hmm. the previous rescue that I worked for and they were gigantic. Even the, all the vets that came that work with the dairy cows all the time had never seen like Rescued, like live to their own accord, kind of thing, cows. And they were like, What is happening? (laughs) They were huge, but they were like puppies. And they would come right up to you, and Bo specifically would like lick the whole side of my face. And they remember people. So he remembered I always had an apple in my pocket. So he would like stick his nose in my pocket. Oh, they're the best. They're the
0: best. There's this place in upstate New York that literally charges $75 a night for you to stay in a tent. And then during the day, you get to like, well, I don't know how much the lodging is, but it's $75 an hour to cuddle with cows. And I have not done it yet. I have friends in upstate New York. They keep trying to get me to come up there. And it just hasn't happened yet. But I'm like, that is what I want to create. But Open invitation to anyone who's listening. If you end up in Eden to North Carolina, you come cuddle for my, with my cows for free. I'm not going to no, charge-, charge $75 an hour. Oh. That's like good money. No, no. we don't. <laughs> have, and that's the thing is like that builds on the conversation we had earlier is like have one thing, speaking from experience, that you don't have to monetize, that you don't need to be good at, that doesn't need to be a hustle, doesn't need to be side biz have those. That's great. It's awesome. But like, this is going to be this one space in my life that is just purely for fun and for good and not about like how much money I can make or any of that. It's just really cool misfit. I love your misfits. Like we're going to adopt. My husband doesn't know this, but we're probably going to adopt the animals that need the most help. (laughs) So (laughs) he doesn't know what he's getting into just yet.
1: I love that. He's just completely unaware and he's just like, whatever. All right. I'm here for the ride. That's Literally. I is. mean,
0: that is basically our entire relationship. <laughs> I just <laughs> dragged him in different places. He's just along for the ride and is down to do whatever. He's oh, great- that's so funny.
1: Okay. I got my questions up now.
0: Rapid fire. Thanks
1: for the interlude.
0: Absolutely. I should have right. played for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we go. How competitive are you?
0: not very competitive anymore. <laughs>
1: really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. When people say that, I'm so surprised I'm the most competitive person. Like, I'm supposed to I work in peds and I'll play games with kids and 100% of the time I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to be winning. I'm supposed to be working <laughs> on goals with them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Are you a saver or a tosser?
0: Get rid of everything. Really? My, husband, my husband is going to call me out on that because we have a storage locker full of stuff that I could not get rid of but I'm just ready to just like get rid of it all that's where I'm at now I used to be a saver I love that
1: because you're probably getting ready to move you're thinking Mm -hmm. getting ready to move yeah all right who is your role
0: model right now Hmm. I don't know but I've been very inspired lately I've been listening to a lot of NPR on the way up to DC every week and I'm very inspired by just the like the citizens of Ukraine that are coming on and talking and just like talking about their experience and just the bravery and sheer. I I was going to say a word that's probably not appropriate for a podcast, but the, the, the genuine bravery of those folks is inspiring. It's hard. All
1: right. What is your favorite place in your house?
0: Mm. we're staying with family right now. And so the garage is my office and like getaway. So I love spending time in there. Cause it's just solitude.
1: Mm, beautiful. All right. Last one. What fun thing would you put in your emergency bag? If you had to grab and go
0: a slinky.
1: <laughs> That's such a surprising
0: answer. A slinky i suppose it has many functions i guess so i I could use it as like a functional tool and also fun
1: (laughs) that is hilarious that was not an expected answer all right (laughs) i love it okay is there anything else that you want to share uh before we hang up um
0: not that i can think of but i if anybody's listening to this Um, out there in the interwebs I encourage you to get involved with Etra and reach out connect let's share stories and um, just thank you guys for doing this I'm super privileged to be a part of it and proud of everything that you guys are doing and this podcast is awesome
1: thank you thank you so much for your time I appreciate it Thank you all for joining us for another week of Our Stories. This was such a fun conversation to have, and I hope you're inspired by Taylor's story. If you have a story that you would like to share, please email me at education at atra-online.com. We will see you all next week.